Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, We're going to look at verses 3 through 10 today in 2 Peter chapter 1. And uh, as we bring the last message in the series, uh, The Balance of Life. Well, this is Valentine's Day, and the message is on love, by the way, just FYI. This is Valentine's Day, and it's fitting that uh, we've come to the last of the seven uh, messages on the balance of life, and this one is about, about love. Um, love is a wonderful thing. We, uh, um, it's a many splendid things somebody uh, wrote one time. How many of you <clears throat> remember, um, <laughs> I, 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 hopefully every married person is going to raise your hand, how many of you remember your honeymoon? Would you raise your hand? Uh, maybe you didn't have one, but you did if you didn't even. How many of you remember your honeymoon as a romantic time? It was the perfect springboard into marriage. Would you raise your hand? Oh, about four of you. How many of you had at least one disaster at your honeymoon? Would you raise your hand? You had at least one disaster at your your honeymoon. We, uh, Jan and I had... uh, uh, that we we went to uh, we went to where we were supposed to spend our wedding night, our honeymoon night, and uh, they had uh, they had rented our our room to someone else, and uh, so we had to continue and and travel, and we ended up staying in the most romantic, wonderful uh, Motel Six in Huntsville, Alabama, <clears throat> and. Uh, it was great. Here's a, a great honeymoon disaster story you'll, you'll appreciate. When we arrived in St. Thomas, our honeymoon suite had twin beds. <laughs> well, there you go. That's end of story. Uh, <clears throat> they pushed the beds together, but we still had to deal with a gap in the middle. The room itself was falling apart, and the bathroom and shower were covered in mildew. After investigating a strange smell, we found a dead lizard in the sofa cushions. On one of our many visits to the front desk, another honeymoon couple, also with twin beds, produced a dead spider so large they had to carry it in a shower cap. The rest of the story involved passing through customs only to be held captive in an unair conditioned room without food or drinks for more than 10 hours due to a mechanical problem with the plane. My wife is a vegetarian, so when they finally did bring food, they brought bologna sandwiches and she could only eat the the bread. Back in Memphis, we were pulled over. This sounds like uh, Perry Gaines, doesn't it? Uh, This may have been Perry. Back in Memphis, we were pulled over by the police. The officer informed me that my license plate was upside down a prank from our wedding reception. My wife, not in a good mood, thrust the just marriage sign from the back seat into the face of the officer and started yelling at him. He backed away from the car with his hands up, and all I heard him say was, have a nice day. (laughs) Oh, man. It wasn't the honeymoon, but I've been on that trip, haven't you? You guys been on that trip before? <clears throat> well, uh, 
we're going to read How Love Conquers All today and uh, as we come to our last of the series. Here's the entire text again, Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these things or these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Even though in previous messages we've spent the whole time on the single word or the single trait, the balancing point, today what I want to do is take the first point of the message and look at this balance point of love and then utilize the rest of the message to bring the series to a completion. Now let's remember again these seven balance points. We have added already six of them. We have added to our faith virtue or excellence, a spirit of excellence. We've added knowledge. We've added self-control. We've added steadfastness or determination. We've added godliness and brotherly affection. And then finally, there is this, there is love. 1 Corinthians 13 13 tells us something about love. It says, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest? Why is love the best? Well, let's look for a few minutes at the blessing of love to see if we can understand a bit of why love is the the greatest. A British band by the name of 10CC, just out of curiosity. How many of you have heard of the band 10CC? Would you raise your hand? Oh my goodness. Okay. Uh, 10CC had a hit song in the 70s and it was called The Things We Do for Love. Now, to be honest with you, I went into a music blackout at about 1973. That's when God called me to preach and I went away to seminary and I, I discovered that all of the music that I loved was the devil's music, and, and, uh, and, and it wasn't until I got out of seminary that, that I was able to get it back. But, uh, <clears throat> but I, I did go into music seclusion, so I didn't add too many new things. I can sing just about a little bit of just about every song of the 60s and 70 and 71, but, but around 72 or 3, I I lost uh, my mojo, so to speak, in regard to the music, and, 
And uh, now I'm getting it back just a little bit. And, and uh, I've, uh, a, a brand new group that I've heard recently, uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, are just really... Uh... <laughs> look, look at these. Look at them. Look at them. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> oh, man. Brother Jesse is gone today. So I went down and just shared with the teenagers how that I'd be coming down and sitting with them if they weren't on their best behavior today. But I know that they will be. They're wonderful, lovely people. But anyway, the point of the song, The Things We Do for Love, was a pretty good, that's a pretty good point because love is the greatest motivator, tremendous motivator. Think of how love has motivated you in your life. If you've ever been in love, you did things and you made sacrifices and you exhibited thoughtfulness and, and, and more things you would never have done had you not discovered love. Love is a tremendous motivator. That's romantic love. It's a good love. There's nothing wrong with with that kind of love. It's a very fine love. It's the love that every young person hopes to find and every person who's found it hopes to keep fresh. That's love, the greatest motivator. There's the love of family. That's a different kind of love. That's the love for our children. That's the love for our our grandchildren. That's the love for our parents. That's the love for our, our siblings. That is a a great motivational love. Family is also something that makes, makes us do things that we might not otherwise do and be thoughtful at times that we may not otherwise be, be thoughtful. We go to the store uh, intending to get something, and while we're at the store, we think of one of our children or our grandchildren. We think of somebody in our family that we love. We took a quick trip over to Jacksonville, which we are really enjoying doing these days. Not that I particularly like Jacksonville, but there's, there's two people there that I just absolutely adore and two others who I really like. Uh, the two people that I absolutely adore are my grandchildren. And so we go over there and uh, we have a seat in, the, in uh, Paul and, and Lindsay's uh, living room and uh, Jan, or Yanni as she's called by Emerson, says to me, go get those things. And so I go into the other room and I, I bring in <clears throat> a couple of, of uh, shopping bags. And she starts pulling outfits out of the shopping bags. And uh, we, uh, like all good, good grandparents, we buy things for our grandchildren. We bought Emerson um, a little camouflage dress. You, you'd uh, you'd uh, like that. A uh, little little camo dress, and and about fifty other outfits. And uh, but we do things for for our children, and we do things because love is the greatest motivator. Love for country causes people to fight and die to defend their homeland and what it represents. The USA stands for freedom, so the love of country is a love for freedom. And many of you have gone to, to battle and in other places to defend freedom. It moved you to patriotism that took you from your family so that you could defend and 
the love of your country. If 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that the greatest of all is, is love, of all mentioned is love, then the greatest love must be the, the love of God who, who exhibited the greatest love. So we have a love for God and, and God becomes our greatest motivator. And when we have a love for God, then love becomes the greatest minister. It motivates and it ministers. Here's what Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for a friend. When it comes to ministry, there are a lot of things that we do for love that we would not do for money. It it is rare. It is rare when someone chooses a career path in ministry because that's the place where they can earn the most money. It is a rare thing. I I don't know, we have a lot of people in, in this congregation in ministry but I don't, I don't know if, if you really understand that. But most people in ministry could earn much more money doing the kind of thing that they're doing outside of the ministry. But they stay in the ministry mainly for love. Most Christian school teachers could earn a lot more money in public school or in another place, another, a private school. But they choose what they do because it's ministry. We have the stampers here uh, today. They're missionaries uh, to Kenya. I can assure you that most missionaries would have much better lives in a different vocation than to have gone to another part of the world for the single purpose of spreading the love of God in word and deed. Not that they have bad lives in other countries. I think missionaries have really good lives in other countries. But they're far away from home. They're far away from family. They can't take a quick two-hour drive over to Jacksonville and see their loved ones. So love becomes the, the greatest minister. The love of God and uh, the love for God and of God is, is its own compensation. The world doesn't understand this. But those who have answered the call or serve as a layperson in a local church understand it completely, if indeed their motivation is a love for God. There are a lot of things that you may have done, and I hope there are things that you have done in your life that were done simply because you love God. You stayed through certain things. You toughed it out. You, you, uh, you, you made your mark. You worked hard. You... you kept on keeping on, and and I could go on and on with that, and the motivation for that was your love for God. Larry, in talking about his friend, not that his friend doesn't love God anymore, but his friend hit a rough patch in the road so that the love for God was no longer the motivator that it was at one time. But when God's love is our motivator, then God's love becomes our minister, and we become part of His ministry. Love is the greatest motivator, love is the greatest minister, and love is the greatest master. Everyone wants to love and to be loved. After we teach our children to say, Dada and Mama, we teach them to say, I love you. We show them how to say, I love you. We teach them with words. We teach them with sign language. We teach them how to hug. 
we teach them all of the expressions of, of love, the first words we ever say to them are, I love you. An expectant mom will tell her child before she ever holds her in her arms as she's holding her in her belly, she'll say, I love you. She will love that child before the child is is ever born. Paul spoke of, of how the love of Christ is in control of us and how that it becomes our master and, and how that, that we want to have love master our lives. 2 Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. All of the things of all of the things in life that can control us, love is the greatest master. The love of God will never give you more than you can bear. The love of God will never ask you to go where he cannot and will not provide for you. The love of God will never lead you in a path that's not best for you. You can trust the love of God. Looking back on my life, I trust the love of God and the love God has had for my life and in my life. I just trust God's love. I can look and see various decision points. There are times and points where I would have made a different decision. There are times and points where I would have said, were it just me, okay, I'm not going to follow through with this decision. I'm going to go with that decision. There are times when I would have looked and said, okay, this is not exactly the way I would have prescribed this. However, the love of God never prescribed something that wasn't right for me and wasn't right for the path that I should walk. That is the blessing of love. Now, we see that love is the seventh and the, the, the best blessing according to 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now, what about all of those other seven balance points together? What do they do for our lives? We see the blessing of love, but what's the benefit of balance? What are we benefiting by? 2 Peter 1 and verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, what qualities? Those seven that we've been studying. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this verse tells me how to keep my salvation fresh. We take these seven things, these seven balance points, and we build them into our lives. We, use, we work out with them in our lives. It's like working out at the gym. You go and work out at the gym, and, and if, if you don't work out with some regularity, the first day that you go to the gym, uh, and if you do a pretty good workout shortly thereafter, you'll say to yourself, I'm never going to work out again because of the soreness, because of the hurt, because of the pain, because of the inability to move. You, you, you can't reach up in the cabinet and, and get a, a cup out for coffee. You have to ask somebody uh, in, in who's not working out to get it for you. But then after a while, 
you begin to work out. And you can do not only everything that you wanted to do, but you can do them stronger and better. You can do them with more confidence, and and it's far better. You, You didn't learn all that you know about anything all at once. You took a little bit at a time, and you worked at it a little bit at a time. Jan and I, I think Jan and I have a good marriage. I love her. She loves me. We've been married, let's see, Jan. It will be 44 years in September, right? 44 years in September we've been married. Now, I've got to tell you, a good marriage is not something that happens right at the beginning and then you just coast from there on. Things change. Life changes. People change. And and we work at it and we continue to build in it. And as we work at it and build in it and build on it, our marriages become better. To the point you get a Sheldon and Virginia win with Sheldon in the hospital and and Virginia, you, you you can hardly make her go home. She wants to be by his side every minute. They didn't come to that point all of a sudden. They built that over 60 plus years of marriage. The way that you become a stronger Christian is not by saying, wow, I heard seven points of balance in my spiritual life and now I feel like I'm going to do them all at once and here we go. It's not going to happen like that. You didn't learn all you know about driving a car the first time you got behind the wheel. You, you didn't learn how to cook by walking into the kitchen one time. And, you're not, and you won't get to where you want to go by listening to a seven-week series of sermons. You have to exercise them in your life. And if you don't, quite honestly, you will have heard seven sermons, just like you hear sermons all the time, and they will not do you any more good than a sermon that you hear and completely forget. You you, you have to put them into your life. And when you do, the effectiveness of your spiritual walk and the freshness of your salvation will take new flight. It will be different for you. And I will say this. I will say that in the course of looking at those seven things, there were some of those things that were not all that easy for you. There were some of those things that you said, oh, yeah, yeah, I do that. But then there's another thing, oh, man, I don't do that. Well, that's what you got to work on. you got to keep the other, and you got to work on that. And then what happens is your life begins to change. Now the question remains, what if we do not add to our faith? What if we <clears throat> just hear these messages and, like so many others, just let them fall away in the parking lot? Before we ever get into the car, they fall by the wayside. What happens then? Well, according to verse 8, we become ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a real problem because that's the blindness of stagnation. If you allow your spiritual life to stagnate, it creates blindness in your life. In my church as a child, 
I was raised in a what's known, and, and very few of you will have a frame of reference for this kind of church because there's, I don't know of any in this area. I don't know of any in many areas outside of where I was raised. It was, it was called a missionary Baptist church. You say, oh yeah, I was raised in a missionary Baptist church. You may not have been raised in one like this. My dad was the pastor. <clears throat> we, we were taught that if you were truly saved, that you would never forget your salvation. We were taught that. And, that's, and that, does that not sound right to you? That sounds right. That sounds right to me. <clears throat> we used to sing, I can tell you now the time. I can take you to the place. And then we'd say, where the Lord saved me by his wonderful grace. Nothing wrong with that. Only problem is, it confused me. You, 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 I was told that you'd always remember the time and the place of your salvation. And <clears throat> that's the main thing that I remember that caused me a lot of trouble as I was growing up. Rather than <clears throat> growing spiritually, I was trying to replicate the details of my salvation experience. I was trying to <clears throat> make sure that salvation experience was exactly like they said it was going to be so that I would know for sure that I'm saved. And so I was wanting to replicate the salvation experience that other people had. <clears throat> and then I found a verse that opened my eyes. It wasn't until I was an adult that I found this verse. And what we see in our text is what we become stunted in our, our spiritual growth. Verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Leave that up there for just a minute. Look at that. <clears throat> what does that say? That says if you do not balance your spiritual walk, if you do not add to your life virtue and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge, and on and on it goes. If you do not add these things in your life, if you do add them, <clears throat> you're going to have a fresh, wonderful, daily walk with Jesus. If you don't add them into your life, here's what it says. It says you are blind, and you can, you're nearsighted, you can't see very far, and you will have actually forgotten that you have been cleansed from your old sins. What a terrible thing. What a terrible thing to be saved and not know it. He said, how can you be saved and not know it by being saved and not living it? That's what that verse says right there. <clears throat> Christians who have continual doubts about salvation do so for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's a problem with low self-esteem. They feel so unworthy, just so unworthy. How could God <clears throat> possibly... How could God possibly love them and save them and keep them saved? Sometimes <clears throat> there is a, a breach of trust in their past. Quite frankly, this happens more to women than to men. <clears throat> you women sometimes have a, a, a male figure, an authority figure in your life who has breached the trust that 
that you gave to him in your life, whether it was a, somebody at, at, in, in your family or somebody uh, in the line of authority at school or whatever, the, <clears throat> they breached their authority. They, they did something to you that caused you uh, to, to be shocked that anyone in authority would, uh, anyone who's supposed to love you, anybody who's supposed to care for you would have treated you like that. And here's what happens. What happens is as a result of that, that distrust, that trauma, that, that upset spirit begins to carry over in other parts of your life until it has permeated all of your life up to and including your relationship with God. And you have a hard time trusting God because of what that guy did who was in your family or your school or your church or whatever it may be. Sometimes it's that. There may have been a truly heinous sin that someone has committed. And they doubt their salvation because, after all, how could they have done such a thing if they are truly saved? Don't miss this in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? There are many reasons that people doubt their salvation. But don't overlook the truth of the text. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. If we simply decide to take a play off and coast a little and let things slide in our spiritual walk, and let me just tell you this, if you do that, at the, the first day that you decide, well, I'm just going to let it slide a little bit, the first day that you decide to do that, listen very carefully to me, that will become an entrance point for Satan to discourage your life, and it will not be long until you find yourself on the outside looking in saying, whatever happened to me? There are, do you know what's happened in, in, in the church not in this church, although in this church too, but in the church, there is a falling away. There is a tremendous falling away. And do you know why there is a falling away? There's a falling away because people have become so self-interested and so pleasure-oriented that they simply have taken plays off. And they said, you know what? It doesn't matter if I don't go to church. It doesn't matter if I don't read my Bible. It doesn't matter. I'm still saved. And, and they, they are into this, this mode of, of the covenant theology where they say, you know what? It just doesn't matter because I'm saved no matter what. The problem with that is that you lose the freshness of your salvation and can become blind and can't see afar off and live in constant doubt. And the only reason you live in doubt is because you took a play off and then another one and then another one and then another one. And instead of being fresh in your spiritual walk, you become blind. And these seven balance points will help you to stay fresh. Confidence in Jesus is everything, everything. This is the verse that I call my life verse. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. For the cause of Christ and for the fresh confidence in your own soul, add these balance points into your life and build on them every day. Every day, build on them. 
build your faith and your virtue and your excellence and your knowledge and your self-control and your steadfastness and, and, and your godliness and your brotherly kindness and brotherly affection and love. Build in these. And it is at this point that we can experience the boldness of growth. And there is a boldness to growing spiritually. Do you have a boldness in your spiritual walk? Do you have a feeling of confidence in your spiritual walk? Confidence is a big thing. It's a big thing. I'm going to let you in on a little something. And you can say I'm vain. You can say whatever you want to say. Whenever I travel, going through airports, whatever it may be, I'm 65 years old. I'll be 66 on March the 6th, a couple of weeks away. 65, 66. There are a lot of 65 and 66 year old people wandering around in the airport like, what do I do now? Could you help me? Not me, brother. I hold my head up and I walk straight and I walk fast. <laughs> the Phillips have been in the airport with me, they know. I hold my head up and I walk straight and I walk fast to where I'm going. And just in case there's somebody that's looking for a victim, they're not going to look at me because I walk with confidence. And, and, and someday when I'm at the home and I'm in the wheelchair, I'm going to be one confident rolling dude. You can count on that. You, you want to have that in your life. You want to have boldness in your life. Verse 10 says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Confidence in your Christian life, that's what you're looking for. Do you remember in school when one of your classmates or maybe you came back in the fall and you look completely different than when you left in the spring. You, you, somebody grew taller, somebody got thinner, they got bigger and stronger. The whole look changed. It all changed. And not only did their look change, but it seemed that their level of confidence changed too. They outgrew some of their inhibitions, and, and suddenly they became someone to be respected or at least to be acknowledged. And all of it was due to the fact that they reached a time in their life when they were supposed to grow, and they did what they were supposed to do, and it produced confidence in their life. And all of a sudden they said, yeah, I'm going to go out for the team. Yeah, I'm going to ask that girl out on a date. Yeah, I'm going to... You remember that, don't you? You know that same thing can happen in your spiritual walk when you add to your life what you're supposed to add to your life when you're supposed to add it? Then all of a sudden, you become confident in your faith. And all of a sudden, you say, yes, I can talk to them about my faith. Yes, I can, I can walk in confidence. Yes, I do not have to be inhibited or intimidated in my spiritual walk because I know that I know the Lord and I'm walking with Him and I'm living that balance. This is, this is what we want in our spiritual lives. And this is what we want in life in general. 
We want to walk in the boldness of growth. A writer made this observation about children. said that children ask roughly 125 questions per day. So anybody say amen to that? They ask about 125 questions per day. Adults ask six questions per day about. So somewhere between childhood and adulthood, we lose 119 questions per day. A child's curiosity about life is instilled in them at birth by the one who longs to be discovered. And the more questions they ask, the more they discover about the world around them. And more they discover about the world around them, the more they discover about the one who made them. The the, the problem becomes when we become these, these spiritual blank stares. And we don't want to know what makes us better. We don't want to know what will give us a more confident walk. Maybe we should be more like a child in our desire to know more about God and what He can do in our lives. Maybe we should be more like a child when it comes to measuring our growth. Kids love to see how much they've grown. And if you're one of those parents who's marked it on the wall, kids love to come back and look and say, wow, look how much I've grown. They enjoy that kind of thing. The truth is, as believers, we ought to mark our growth. And we ought to step back and look once in a while and say, thank you, Lord, that I'm continuing to grow. The balance of the spiritual life is more powerful than I can possibly tell you. This is something that all of you and me, all of us, must pursue.